So then I, I actually stumbled on a Greg Knuckles article. He talked about Bulgarian squatting, like squatting every single day. And he had a small part in there where he said it, it was something that helped his like nagging patellar tendonitis. And this like reading this small thing was like, I'm going to try this. So I squatted, I think this was two months. Um, I squatted every single day, like the, uh, I, whatever the, he referenced this book squat every day, I think mm-hmm. it was called. And I would go in, like do a few warm up sets, max out, do like three reps on a max out. Maybe my squat went up. It was terrible, like because I never squatted. Maybe two twenty five to like three fifty or something in the span of two months. But it was every single day squatting. And like after this, I would go. I went to the court. I'd go play basketball. No knee pain. Like my knee pain is entirely gone after doing squatting every day. So I'm doing the exact opposite of what they told me, which was rest your knee for three months. And I'm like, well, what if I stress my knee for three months? And now I understand like I'm stressing it in a very different way than a, a dynamic explosive type movement, which is something that caused a lot of pain. This was more like this was a very slow thing because I'm lifting such a heavy load. It has to be slow. That was coach Jake Tura speaking on squatting every day, heavy, slow resistance training and its effect on tendon health and performance. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the Free Lap Timing System, Gym Aware, KBox, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The Freelap Timing System has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments, allowing me to look at the 10-meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The K-Box and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches, training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none. Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Welcome to episode 157 of the Just Fly Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith. Thanks for being here today. And our guest is Jake Tura. He is a strength coach at Youngstown State University. If you've been poking around Just Fly Sports lately, um, either the website or the podcast, there's two things that Jake has had a profound impact on. One, he wrote the most popular article of the year for us so far called Jacked in Athletic Training Wisdom for Simultaneous Muscle and Performance Gain, which is an awesome layout of many different training qualities, progressions, and things revolving around strength, size, and tendon health in this whole athletic performance equation. Fantastic article. I loved it. And it's like one of those classics that's really going to be, I think it'll be around for a long time that I'm constantly going back to, people are constantly going back to. Another thing is Jake is a big reason that I reached out to Dr. Keith Barr, of which we had the last podcast, 156, which was an awesome, landmark, groundbreaking show. I can't tell you how many people I've had posts on their story on Twitter or Instagram or Twitter or whatever on how impactful that episode was to them. And it was incredibly impactful to me. 
and uh, super information dense too. I took a ton of notes. I hope you guys were able to listen to that and check it out. Uh, again, I've been using those methods myself and I absolutely love it. I'll take my kids to the park. I'm sitting there doing ISO sissy squats um, while I'm pushing them on the swing or something. And uh, I'm just trying and, and I'm noticing big differences as well as the, it's just an awesome show. I'm not going to get on a huge um, diatribe here, but Keith Barr's work is awesome. Jake has taken the work of Dr. Barr and then others, as he mentioned in the teaser, and he has used that in his own training to overcome seriously debilitating knee pain. Um, if you see him on Instagram, he's deadlifting huge amounts of weights, deadlifts over 600, squats over 500. He's dunking. I don't think Jake's any taller than I am. I'm 6'1". I, I, I'm not sure. I should have asked Jake, but I think he's around six feet. So a guy who's got a ton of athleticism and and is just putting his money where his mouth is in terms of not just being strong, but being functional and athletic. And I think it's uh, young coaches who are really have that huge skin in the game, not only in training athletes and, and reading and being informed, but conf- constantly using their own body as this canvas by which to to test out these means and methods and to refine their system. There's never a dull conversation that happens when I can get together and talk with one of those coaches. So uh, Jake also, he works at Youngstown State University. Prior to that, he was an assistant at University of Minnesota Duluth. And today on the show, Jake and I are going to get into hypertrophy and muscle building. So just chatting a little bit more on the follow-up on that article he wrote. So basically all things muscle building, hypertrophy for athletes, um, what to make of this thing, this hypertrophy phase, if you dig out that old Tudor Bompa textbook, what do we make of that? And how do we really blend these qualities together for the needs of our athletes who are, their sports skill is really the main thing and, um, and everything related to just that blend of muscle building, sports performance, athleticism, the spirit of strength and conditioning, etc. He's going to talk about how he utilizes cluster training for athletic performance. Then we get into, and this is an awesome follow-up for episode 156, his own experience with tendon training means and methods, how he got started with that, how he has overcome some serious problems, and how he is using it to be healthy and athletic in addition to strong. Finally, we're going to chat about his recent experience in jump training and his meathead dunking experience, as he calls it, which again is just, you, you really, tendon health and vertical jump seem to go hand in hand because people who do the latter tend to have problems with the former. So it's always good to have these conversations and it's an awesome chance for all of us to see like some, just some applied and practical examples of what Dr. Barr was talking about last week. So I'm super stoked to bring you guys this episode with Jake Tura. I think you guys are going to love it. A young coach who is doing awesome things in his coaching, training, and making the world of athletic performance and getting jacked a better place. Let's get on to the show. Uh, in blending the worlds, you know, in, in, in never trying to, I'm always trying to not pull too far to any end of the pendulum per se. Um, but I know you've written like awesome stuff recently on Just Fly Sports on getting jacked in athletics. So like fundamentally, how are we, what's your, t- um, your take on marrying these two worlds of this, this spirit of those, those videos like pumping iron and blood and guts and this, this spirit of uh, physicality with the spirit of athletic performance and movement? What's your, what, where do we get started with blending those worlds? <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think like, first of all, like if you have your sport, like play your sport year round or play some version of some type of sport. So you maintain some level of like athleticism and you're not just in the weight room lifting mm-hmm. um, and you kill all your coordination and all your like tactical, your brain, your vision. Um, you don't train any of that. So like and like it's very I mean, it's very simple. Like with the teams I work with is like we could uh, 
like go play spike ball for the warm up, play med ball tennis, med ball volleyball. Like these, like there's so many variety of movements that you cannot cover in the weight room by just doing these motions. Um, but the thing is, is like the teams, like at the college setting, like I'm not taking an athlete and being like, let's get freaking jacked. Um, like it is my personal thing that I want, but it's for, for athletes is like, there's so much, uh, there's so much time and energy that would go into putting on muscle onto your frame. Like you could imagine for yourself too. Like how much food would you have to eat and how much, uh, like cortisol would you have to minimize? Like you would have to, like if you watch videos of like Ronnie Coleman back when he would just like sit at home and eat rice and chicken and he'd be doing his, his, uh, police job. He'd be sitting in his car eating rice and chickens. Like there's so much food that goes into making this amount of progress that you pretty much have to live a very, uh, a very boring life. I mean, people can do it outside, uh, with, with stuff going on, but I think that makes it very difficult. Um, and, and for my story was like, I grew up uh, in the country where like my nearest friend was maybe 20, 30 minutes away, just very low stimulus. Nothing ever happened. And then I got a weight room in the basement and it's like, I just lifted and I ate food and I got good sleep. And you do that like over and over and over, assuming you can stay, uh, you can, you can stay, um, happy with that. Like that's how you're going to build a bunch of muscle mass. But otherwise, like it is, uh, very difficult, uh, to do, to, to pair the two because they're very different things. Um, but if you can go like a little bit on the phase potentiation model and be like, I'm going to focus on gaining muscle mass for whatever this six weeks or this eight weeks or something, um, and then really dedicate to that, track body weights, um, eat enough food, minimize stress, uh, I think you can, make, like, you can make a huge difference. But you have to be willing to sacrifice that time. And it is definitely not easy by any means. And there are going to be like often we look at only the positives of training or only the positives of intervention. There are potentially a lot of negatives to doing that. Um, so you really have to figure that out in your head that you would commit to it. Yeah. What's um, in the scope of doing that? Like what's your take on. So. So. And these are some things you had mentioned in the article you wrote that I'm, I was interested in is is different, uh, like the process of just hypertrophy, right? Like, like high reps and we talk about movement patterns. So like, obviously if you're, I can't imagine anyone who would undertake, and this is an extreme example, but anyone who would undertake a German volume squat program is going to be a good mover. (laughs) You know, just, just the, the size and amount required to just that volume amount required, uh, contrasting with athletic movement patterns. So if I'm looking to increase size, if I, if I'm tasked with increasing a little bit of size, uh, and I'm utilizing weights, obviously, to do that. What are some principles to keep in mind while trying to stay as athletic as possible? Yeah, so I like I initially tried to figure that out. I think at my last job when I was at Minnesota Duluth, like you just go on Google and you look up like um, I don't know hypertrophy for athletes. So you look up phase potentiation, and then this this uh, this video came up by Jonathan Oliver. He did a study um, like a while ago. They were trained subjects, but. I forget the specifics, but basically it was one group did four sets of 10. The other group did eight sets of five. Same exact load. The eight sets of five rested one minute. The four sets of 10 rested two. Um, and like at the end of this study, like 12 weeks, whatever, like the eight by five group. So you're doing five reps for eight sets instead of doing 10 reps for four sets on the compound exercises. Um, the velocity that they tracked was better. The power of the bench press, the power of the back squat, um, the hypertrophy gains were, were 
pretty much matched. But and the strength gains, I believe, were better on the eight by five group. So basically, I am if you're like an athlete and you're in the weight room, like and you're trying to build muscle, you should be doing compound exercises like squats, deadlifts, bench press, um, like split squats. Uh, but it's when you get to that point of like, you're doing a number of sets, like super close to failure that I don't think that's good. I think you, you want to accumulate a lot of volume. Um, so really just do less reps, do more sets. Um, and your velocity will stay higher. Your, uh, your form will stay good too. So it's like, if we talk about, I know you've talked about like low bar back squats or like people, uh, becoming more uh, of a back hip, uh, hip, hip extension through the backs of the glutes, um, like s- stuff with the shin angles too. And I look at it and I'm like, if you take someone and let's say, I don't know, 70, 75% squat and make them do a set of 10, like you're going to see some pretty ugly compensations to get all those reps. What if you just did five reps and then you did double the sets? So you would see a lot less compensation. So if you're coaching, if you want someone like, all right, let's keep the, uh, the shin and the torso more, more like together parallel, like you would actually be able to keep that versus if you're like, no, we got to get 10 reps. You're going to force a lot of ugly grinding reps. Um, but I think like that will take care of the hypertrophy side and, and you can read like, They'll say, oh, to get hypertrophy, you have to train near failure. You have to train like very close to failure in all your sets to really maximize hypertrophy. And I'm like, well, I wrote hypertrophy, the hypertrophy cluster protocol. And it's like you're kind of you're trying to pair so many things that I'm like, I'm not going to be like, let's maximize hypertrophy as much as possible because then we're taking away from um, you staying training at a higher velocity or you training with better form. Um, so, I mean, it's still going to work and it's worked well for me. It's worked well for a lot of people I've worked with uh, and you don't have to like, this is the issue with like researchers, you know, it's like, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to do this and this is the way to do hypertrophy, the way to maximize it. But it's like, is that actually practical for athletes? Um, and, and can you even take yourself to that point? If you're an athlete practicing year round, can you go in and, and train at that, whatever that percentage of load, um, for that amount of reps? Like there are days when you can't and like, then where's the out of regulation and how do you still maintain the volume? So I think, Working with a coach or having just a basic understanding um, would help quite a bit. But, yeah, I think it comes back to, like, competing in some form of athletic thing, like jumping, sprinting, playing some, like, tactical-type sports, like, year-round, every single day that you're training, do those things. Um, And then your training should not be, like, yeah, German volume. Like, it should not be like that. (laughs) Um, And if you are going to do things that are, like, like, uh, training to failure – probably like isolation type movements because we're not going to do like bicep curls to isolation and be like this messed up my athletic ability you know it's just not enough of a stimulus to do anything negative like that yeah i think it's easy and that's one thing that you're writing in your article that really did hit home with me is this idea it's like okay if i want to get some a muscle group bigger uh it would probably be better or even for a squat or something like this and i mean maybe it's it's easier to draw a contrast between arm curls and like a high rep arm curl. And that's one of those things, you know, you do it in the mirror, you probably get like a good bio biochemical stimulus too from arm curls in the mirror to failure. And you feel that, uh, but like, like squats to failure or deep squats to failure or, or squats that are through the heels to failure and high reps, you know, stuff like that. I feel like that has a, a profound effect to negatively, um, impact one's athleticism, perhaps dramatically. I, I I'd like to get into a little bit. Uh, so I, I thought that was cool. I mean, take out like leg extensions, leg curls. Like if I, you know, if I want to get, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I don't know how many athletes say I want to get bigger legs. It's always bigger arms or upper body, right? Like any thoughts for lower body though with that, with that idea? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, personally for me, like, so, um, I based a lot of this again, we, we, we had me, we had talked before about, 
I'm a strength coach and I train athletes like the way that I train basically, right? <laughs> like I train things that I'm comfortable with training. Um, and then this athlete gets a new strength coach and then they do very different types of training. And it's like, why is everything so different? Well, it's like, well, because I interned under Cal and, uh, <laughs> I was at university of Minnesota Duluth and I do this in my own training. I try not to do that as much as possible, but, um, yeah. So for me, I'm like, people ask like, how do I do chest and back? And I'm like, I have never had a small chest. Like it's just grown from training and I've always had a good back. It's just grown from training. So I don't do, I don't have back workouts for you. I don't have chest workouts cause I don't need them. So I can't really help you. Um, but I have my shoulders. I know how to grow shoulders. I know how to grow, grow a uh, bicep tricep. Um, uh, but my legs have just grown from uh, squats, mm-hmm. split squats. Um, so I don't do a lot of the isolation type stuff. And I don't, yeah, I don't know how much that even, even helps. I, I yeah. can't really answer that question because I don't have experience with it. They just grew from squats, like a variation, like front squats, high bar squats, low bar squats, um, deadlift, trap bar deadlift, um, not really sumo, but like my legs just grew enough from that. But I think also we're talking, we have, the, there's such a genetic thing of like, I genetically responded well to training. Um, but if people want to use this as an excuse, I'll be like, well, did you manage your stress? Did you eat enough food? Did you do everything you possibly could have done in your, in the time you trained for hypertrophy? Because no, you didn't. So don't use the genetics card as an excuse unless you maximize absolutely everything. But yeah, the whole, uh, that's what I see too is like people want, uh, or dudes at least the guy athletes, they want big upper body, you know, maybe they don't really care about their legs. Um, another thing with me is like calves, like I've always had decent, decent sized calves. I have no clue how to build someone's calves. Um, cause I never went through it. Um, they just were kind of there. So yeah, the whole leg thing is like squats, deadlifts. I mean, if that's not growing your legs, like, uh, I guess I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I was going to say that's, 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 I was glad you like you're, you're, uh, humble and like you, you get it enough, right? Like you get it to mention it that. Like, like I don't have experience with this. So, uh, and, and I mean, to be honest, in a way, I mean, and we look at it, right? Like from a, like a pure, like what, what guy especially is going to come to you and say, man, you know, my, my, what, what college athletes going to say, man, my, my quad to hamstring ratio coach is a little bad. How can I get some bigger hamstrings on it? Like what athlete ever is going to say that? Right. I, I, I look at it. Well, I look at a couple of things. One, I, I really like the single joint thing that you mentioned too. And I want to come back to this, but like, I remember reading easy strength and talking about even something like, like leg press for athletes. Like it's easy almost as a strength coach to look at like, you know, these athletes in the eighties doing like leg press as their primary, you know, leg exercise. I don't know. A lot of track athletes did really good doing that. So because like leg press is less neurologically demanding than a squat. And it's like, if you're already sprinting fast and jumping all the time, maybe you should do something a little simpler when it comes to strength. So it doesn't like interfere neurologically. And it's like, it's not that many steps further to take it to, um, something single joint. No, I'm not saying I, that leg press wouldn't be like my primary, but I think they were talking about it more in terms of like peaking and when, when, the, when your leg training, when you're sprinting and you're jumping is the most intense, just let's just keep things as simple as we can and just do leg press, like, and just a few sets of that. And there's little neural, there's very low neural crossover. It's good load. Um, so I imagine it wouldn't be that much. It's kind of in the same vein, or at least that's how I view it. It's kind of the same wavelength, though, a machine, a, a single leg, it, when you're not trying to compromise the nervous system in the athlete's pathway. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I've heard this too, like on podcasts about training, like single joint exercises with athletes and kind of having that argument because they're doing, they have the, let's say the compound movements on the court, sprinting, jumping, uh, cutting, you know? Um, and I, I personally haven't taken it that far to like, all right, athletes, we're going to do leg extensions or leg curves. We also don't have machines like that, but I'm like, 
I mean, we could just hit those patterns and maybe do a slow tempo. You know, I know uh, like Keith Barr's work with the fast, the fast movements for the ten, like to make the tendons very stiff, and then let's go do some slow or some isometric holds to kind of balance it out and do the health side. Um, so, I think that's kind of how I look at it. I'm like with the whole you're saying with the uh, doing the leg press because of that. I'm like, well, I that's a way to kind of like train and maybe counterbalance that huge neurological load. But I'm like. Well, there are so many, there are so many like buckets, I guess, with training, like neurological, tendon, muscle, you know, like so many things going on at once that it's like, if, if we do one thing just to justify one area, like what about everything else? You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it is, it is interesting the, that story you say there. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, I, it's like, there's so many buckets to look at. It's like with the leg press, it's like, I think the only bucket you can really truly justify is just pure potentiation. Like. I want to get some potentiation and not like nervous system and not compromise, uh, you know, and, and have as little impact on other things or I don't know. I, I suppose it's easy to get com- complicated with it. I, and I'm glad you mentioned the tendon stuff. I want to get to that here soon. Uh, I, could you break down a little bit, Jake, about more about how your cluster training plays out? So when it's time to, you know, you're talking about eight sets of five versus four sets of 10. Um, what, what does your cluster training kind of look like for yeah. your athletes? Yeah. So, well, I don't actually do like hypertrophy phase with athletes. You know, my training is very, is very general. Like I, if an athlete came to me, like I need to put on hypertrophy, I'd be like, or I need to put on size. And it was a sport that needed that. I'd be like, okay, but I don't work with football. I don't work with men's basketball. Um, I work with the women's, like a lot of women's sports. Um, and how many women are like, I want to put on muscle, you know, it's like, uh, very rarely often they're trying to take it away and they want their abs to be defined. Um, and you can tell them every day how doing crunches is not going to give them abs. They're still going to believe that it is. So why not just throw it in there? Yeah, um, if you believe it. Yeah. But yeah, personally, like my cluster training or athletes, uh, online athletes I've worked with in the past, a lot of basketball players, uh, or rugby, um, it's really like every single day you start off with something explosive nervous system wise, and then you go into Instead of like traditional, like a compound movement, instead of your traditional like four sets of 10 uh, at, a, at a load where like you're just grinding it out and it just feels terrible, you basically just do double the sets and you do half the reps. Um, so your form is, is very good. Uh, your your velocity is good. It, if it leaves you feeling good, like uh, my first time experimenting with this, and this is all, this is like basically the Jonathan Oliver's uh, structure. I kind of changed it to do different phases throughout time. Um, but it's like, I would go in, uh, my memories were like back when I was at university of Minnesota Duluth, I trained at superior because I had, I had worked there the year prior superior university of Wisconsin superior. Actually, a Darien bar worked there a long time ago, yeah. which is interesting. <laughs> um, but the, uh, I would go in and you do eight sets of five squat, like you're doing hypertrophy stuff. And usually you do your squat hypertrophy and you just feel like garbage, you know, mm-hmm. like if you've seen yeah. videos of like maybe John Meadows or guys like puking in buckets and stuff, <laughs> and that's probably good to do at certain times. But I would leave like eight sets of five with like a minute or 90 seconds of rest with my buddies. And you're like, you feel like potentiated, like your nervous system, you feel awesome after doing like 40 reps at a pretty decent intensity, which is very cool. And versus the opposite of like, I feel absolutely miserable. (laughs) Um, so that's kind of how it goes. And then as the program, like the day goes on, it's like, you just go to more isolation type movements. Um, and for lower body, there's not much, I mean, like, uh, I believe I do like back extensions or, or, uh, single leg stuff, uh, hip thrust and then upper body. I mean, there's just, there's so many things you can do to get like an upper body pump, but yeah, those, those like delt raises curls, um, they, they don't really matter if you're like going to failure and like, yeah. 
like are you gonna puke from doing a set of curls or something you know like <laughs> is your body just going to like break down like like your body you can feel if you really push squats you can feel miserable for like a week or if you really push deadlifts if you if you really push bicep curls you're like you'll feel terrible maybe for like 10 minutes and then it's like all right i'm good <laughs> um so it just doesn't have that big like global impact so yeah that's kind of the 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 uh structure uh of the training like really just high quality training and then when you get to the isolation type movements like go to failure really push yourself um and kind of i'm just trying to get the best of both worlds you know like get the best of the hypertrophy training get the best of the athletic ability and keep that athletic ability throughout time because if you're training like you're just killing yourself in the weight room with grinding reps like you do not you're not going to go and perform high quality skill work it's just going to be terrible you know so it's really like all year. Let's keep let's keep your ability to actually give um, effort and focus to all of your training. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, it's like the rule of thumb is no matter what, you should feel pretty good walking out the door. Like, I mean, eight sets of five. I mean, I imagine your vertical jump would likely be down an inch. You know, it is a little mechanical, but you probably still feel that little buzzing. You know, especially if you're dopamine receptive and stuff like that. And who doesn't feel good doing a nice bicep curl? You know, at least guys, <laughs> right? Bicep curl or delts to failure. You know, you feel good about yourself, and so it's not like it's going to hurt you. Yeah. Uh, so uh, no, I totally, I totally get that. I think it's just a good like reality. Like to, I think it's easy to get away from uh, just. I mean, yeah, like you said, the hypertrophy phase is dead. I mean, that Tudor Bampa, that the, that part of the book, like I think we've ripped that all out a little while ago. But like the, to be able to integrate it, so you always feel good coming out. It, we know how to integrate it if size is the goal and that type of thing in the clusters. I think it's it's just good stuff, man. Yeah, no, I w- I went out to um, Indianapolis to see my buddy Justin. He owns a gym out there, and we were basically like traditional periodization for like team sports athletes for basketball athletes, like no like useless <laughs> yeah, no, you know no. like but but you go sit you go sit in a strength conditioning course and you learn about traditional periodization and it's like is this a like can you go and apply this and like if you go and apply it i kind of feel bad for the athletes you're going to apply it to because like let's do super high volume build up the intensity and like well they're just going to have really bad skill work and you're going to risk injury at mm-hmm. that time because yes. in today's day and age like you do not have time to just train in the weight room and not do sports skill you know like you're doing it all year round so yeah that whole idea of like (laughs) let's do these phases and like maximize everything like well i think it's probably better to kind of keep everything running at once you know yes yeah and just different emphases and variety of it even like max ada recent guest who's you know working with uh national record holders in olympic lifting he's like i've done the squat phase hoping it transfers and it just doesn't work and that's olympic lifting that's a strength sport (laughs) like that's not let alone basketball or football or soccer or or these other things and uh it's just yeah reality it's like the reality check i remember even uh, robbie burke uh, franz bosch was on robbie burke's podcast like i think it listened three years ago and he was talking about penation angles changing in that hypertrophy phase and it's like then you, if you didn't do much else, like like dynamically or even that phase itself, like you have a different muscle and a different coordination of the muscle at the end of that phase. And then what, how your skill is, neg- like you said, your skill is negatively impacted. And it's like to make that a phase on itself, it's almost like this phase you have to recover from <laughs> for, a, for a few weeks or months. Yeah, yeah. It's like you look at, well, you say bigger muscle is is better because then we produce more force well what about the other thousand potential negatives that are involved you know like why don't we ever talk about that (laughs) yeah 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 
Yeah, it's it's just this that robbing Peter to pay Paul and, and these pros and cons. It is complex, but I think like ultimately, like the more trial and error people go through, and the more like the the performance becomes the primary goal. Uh, I think the clearer it is to see things. And uh, yeah, so I uh, I I don't want to go too far before we get into the tendon tendon training because I think you've done an awesome job both, and and you've done it yourself. And like that's what I why I wanted to talk to you because it's easy to talk about research studies. You know, this tendon research, that tendon research, and it's good. But I mean. It's those of us who have gone through it ourselves and found good success, I, I think, are, tell the best story, or if we look at it from a storytelling perspective. And so, uh, Jake, what's your struggle with tendon injuries been like, and then how have you overcome it, and how is that working itself in your coaching? Yeah, so I have, uh, like, I guess, what would we call it? Patellar tendinopathy, not tendonitis, because it's, like, just recurring over and over. Um, but I, I, so I can remember back, this is my right leg, back when I was a kid, like, in phi ed class i'd play softball or something let's say i'd play softball i hit the ball and i'd sprint to first base and my right calf like achilles would just burn like so painful and i think the doctor said it was like growth plates or something and go away and it did actually uh the pain actually went away was i like once i got taller i don't know if that was the thing but um yeah so then i started doing like jump training more often jump attack i think i did uh i did a lot of jump programs um, I think I did actually this one. It was like 40 inch vertical or something. Um, and after that, like my patellar tendon, it was just so bad, like so much pain. And I could say this is probably like one or two years when I was in college. I didn't do a sport in college. I just kind of played pickup basketball and lifted. Like I would go, the doctors would just say rest for three months. I don't know why they said three months, like rest your knee for three months. So I would do my best to rest and not play basketball. And then I get it to about two months and I'd be like, screw this. I'm going to go play basketball. <laughs> so I go play and, and pain would just be there over and over. Um, like, and, and this was so long, like I'm saying one or two years where like, I was just not getting good advice. Nothing was working for me. So then I, I actually stumbled on a Greg Knuckles article. He talked about Bulgarian squatting, like squatting every single day. And he had a small part in there where he said it, it was something that helped his like nagging patellar tendonitis. And this like, Reading this small thing was like, I'm going to try this. So I squatted. I think this was two months. Um, I squatted every single day. Like the, uh, I, whatever. The, he referenced this book, Squat Every Day, I think mm-hmm. it was called. And you, I would go in, like do a few warm-up sets, max out, do like three reps on a max out maybe. My squat went up. It was terrible like because I never squatted. Maybe 225 to like 350 or something in the span of two months. But it was every single day squatting. And like after this, I would go. I went to the court. I'd go play basketball no knee pain like my knee pain is entirely gone after doing squatting every day so i'm doing the exact opposite of what they told me which was rest your knee for three months and i'm like well what if i stress my knee for three months and now i understand like i'm stressing it in a very different way than a a dynamic explosive type movement which is something that caused a lot of pain this was more like this was a very slow thing because i'm lifting such a heavy load it has to be slow like uh eccentrically and constant and concentrically so yeah that kind of happened and then i kind of lost interest in like even doing any jumping, any explosive thing. Cause I got into the bodybuilding. Um, but then I got this job here and I'm like, let's, let's see if I can transfer all of this stuff back to jumping. And then like the patellar tendonitis would come up. Like I can remember even last year I would, I would go out one of my buddies, we lift and we, we dunk. It's just, it's, it's fun to have someone that you, you do the same exact things, you know, and you enjoy them so much. Um, so we would like lift and dunk and I would dunk and then for like the next two or three days, sometimes my knee would just be so painful. It's like, I can't, I can't do this. Um, so 
then I think I came across Keith Barr's work. Uh, one of my friends, Kyle Harris, actually sent me his video. Because I, I believe I posted on Instagram, like Cal Dietz had something where he talked about the springs of the tendon and the muscle and, and looking at make you lift, you make the tendon of the uh, you lift weights, you make the te- uh, the spring of the muscle very strong and stiff and you do high speed stuff, you make the tendon very strong and stiff. And then Kyle was like, yeah, but here's some lo- a little more information. So I watched Keith, Keith Barr's thing like probably three or four times. And what I thought was cool was like you can train your tendon, like load your tendon over and over, like loaded in the morning, loaded in the evening. And he he talked about his this study where they did three sessions per day because the refractory period of like six hours. So, yeah, I got that. And because I work in a weight room and I love lifting, I'm like, if you give me an excuse to lift twice a day, like I'm going to use it. <laughs> so it was just like and then I, I, I this was around the time after I read your book, Speed Strength, you kind of talk about the the long duration ISOs, which is still pretty, I don't understand what they're doing or, or what's going on, but they do like they do. Mm-hmm. I, I love them. Like they, 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 I feel so much better. I feel so much more sturdy just doing them. Um, so yeah, basically I go in like if it was in the morning and I just got done with teams, it's maybe eight o'clock. I do like a 10 minute isometric workout of like hold a squat, hold a split squat. Um, even like single leg stands. Now sometimes these would go 20 minutes and it was just body weight holds, um, but yeah, this, uh, just doing these consistently, like my, I can manage my patellar tendon pain so, so much. Like I actually went back, I interned at university of Minnesota. I went back to Minneapolis, uh, like a, a month and a half ago and I was with my buddy. We were dunking every single day for like 10 days. And I'm like thinking back to the year prior, I'm like, I would dunk one day and I'd be out for three days because my knee would, my patellar tendon would be hurting. But yeah, implementing that stuff, like, and just experimenting with it, like, I'd go and dunk, and then it'd be like, all right, it's kind of tender the next day. So then I'd go dunk the next day, and I'd go do some like slow uh, eccentric squats, like heavy squats. And then the next day, I'd feel better. And it's like you, I just experiment and play around with it, and there is no correct answer for anyone. But once you get an understanding of these concepts, like if you wa- if you listen to – and I know you just had Keith Barr on uh, Keith yeah, Barr on the podcast. Yeah, he'll be, so on, like, he'll be on – his episode will be released before um, this episode goes out. Yeah. So hopefully like people can listen to that and you get the understanding of the concepts and like go and apply it. And there is no like specific way to do it. But if you go play around with it, like don't complain about your your tendon. Like don't mm-hmm. complain about your issues. Like you probably have go and go and experiment. Like and if you don't experiment, then like don't complain. Like be someone who tries all this stuff. You don't need like you don't need a prescription. You don't need like here's the exact sets and reps to do of something like no, go and try it. And, uh, the more I try it, like even uh, example is the, the split squat ISO hold. Like I I'll do the split squat ISO hold. And sometimes my knee will be like my patellar tendon will kind of hurt the next day. And I don't know why, like my back leg kind of rectus femoris locks up or something, but I tried it on a like Bulgarian split squat and I don't have the same pain the next day. And it's like small things like that of like, there's no correct answer. Just there are concepts and play around with them and experiment. So, yeah, the whole understanding of muscle tendon and then the uh, the refractory period, all that stuff has been like so huge in dealing with the uh, the jumpers and the, to the point now where like if it hurts, I know exactly what to do. Um, like so, you have so much control now versus before. I can look back two years where I had no control whatsoever because I had no clue what was happening. <laughs> I had no clue mm-hmm. what to do instead of just rest, which did not help one bit. That's one of those things too, where it's like, you know, I mean, rest, no doubt rest is absolutely important, but it's like when it comes to tendons and connective tissue, all of a sudden the paradigm flips and, and that's like, it still kills me. I mean, even like 
I posted something that um, I posted something just on an Instagram story. I don't post that many things like on my story or I'm not very active on it, but I had to. It was like an old, it was like a Kaiser Permanente physical therapy department. Um, here's what to do if you have patellar tendonitis. And it's like ice three times a day and this muscle might be weak and do some stretch. And I'm just sitting here like, are you like, this is how far we've come. And like, it, but, but like you said, it's like with, with things like what Dr. Keith Barr have out, uh, you know, I just did the podcast with Ebony Rio, uh, like the long ISO holes, like Ben Patrick stuff with stress. It's all stressing tissues. It's like, but it's almost like this old school mentality is, is just rest, you know, but what are you going to do when you come back? Like, you're just going to get hurt again if you just rest the nice and arbitrarily kind of stretch some muscles and, and things like that. And, um, what I've realized, like you said, like, it, it's almost like there is no excuse on some level because you just have to put in the time with like the slow loading and the biggest thing for me lately and reading your stuff and then just doing this podcast with Dr. Bars, like those, those slow t- companion sessions, just finding 10 extra minutes to do that stuff. And it makes an unbelievable difference. It's like, you know, if I have kids, I was even just like standing on one leg and just like trying to like hold my one-year-old while I'm doing it or like doing a shoe myself lunge, like just trying to find the time to do that makes an unbelievable difference. And it's like, it, once you know that like loading secret, it's, there really is so such possibility behind it. Yeah. And I, and I've, well, and then I've tried to load like a pitch shark, you know, like change that session to something more loaded. Um, but I don't know the best way to do that still because like <laughs> you'll do it and then it will just like fatigue you later on. Mm-hmm. Like I just did it the other day and we, I mean, it was probably stupid. We did like super maximal eccentrics where like someone stands on it and then hops off. And it's like, um, I was kind of, I was actually kind of sore after that and like I couldn't jump at all, the, like following that, <laughs> um, like later in the day. But I mean, that's just the, the general like, probably super huge uh cns or or neural load on that but yeah no those those like concepts are just huge and and hopefully people like suffering with those tendon issues can take them and and just really it's just then a self-experiment um because research like the value of research is like we did this on two thousand subjects and that's better than a research study on 10 subjects but it's like for you each individual athlete what matters is that one subject which is you that's all that matters yeah. And so, so in a nutshell, before we close that out, and I think we'll have one more question before we finish, but like just basically doing as many extra sessions as possible that is slow. Like, like you, like Dr. Barr, I think you've mentioned in your articles, it's slow for health and fast per, for performance. So just really tacking in as many slow, eccentric, lightweight, high rep or, or, or isometric um, movements as you can um, in the midst of your other training. That'd be a nutshell. Yeah, yeah, I, I think yeah, doing the the like the health sessions. Um, but I I think too it is interesting that, um, if if you it doesn't does that then prepare you to perf- for your tendon to perform in the fast way? You know, like you can't just do go in the weight room and like I'm gonna I'm gonna do all this stuff for tendon yeah. health and just do everything very slow and isometric and heavy and then think you're gonna go like let's say I'm gonna go now on Sunday like you did it all week I'm gonna go now and play basketball. It's like well it doesn't really prepare you for perform like to perform um and i've i've had the experience with like when i would prepare for powerlifting meets um like all of it is slow training everything is very slow but i i remember i'd go and like play pickup basketball and my elbows would just hurt like crazy it's like and i don't know if this is like because the movements are so much faster in basketball you know like you're swinging your arms or you're like pushing off of people like if my like I think it was tendon issues in my my elbows, but it's like if um if they're just not prepared for that type of fast mm-hmm. contraction, that type of performance. So like keeping all that in, but it's like if you have that pain 
and you're still experimenting with like jumping or, or I don't know, sprinting, like try out the, uh, the health sessions. Like, I don't know, you could even do two a day or whatever. Let's like, yeah, but I think, uh, looking at that, like the refractory six hour period, like do it in the morning, you get that, the few hours of rest and then do your second session of the day. Um, I've never done three because I just, <laughs> I haven't, uh, just you have, haven't other, you have other things to do in your life too, I suppose, than <laughs> sit around. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, but it, it is something to just play around with. Um, and the concepts to me, I had never heard of these concepts before until I saw Keith Barr stuff. So like, uh, very cool. Um, I think there's always like when you find something like new, like that type of thing that comes out, like it's awesome to realize like it has not all been done before, you know? Yeah. And even in the Keith Barr episode, like you realize that a lot of uh, things that we've thought are held true about tendons and connective tissue actually may be less true than we think they are. I think it's evolving very quickly and there's a lot. I'm excited to see where, I mean, you imagine hopefully that Kaiser Permanente sheet on tendon health rehabilitation is totally different 10 years from now. We'll see. But at the very least, you know, those of us who are in the trenches with athletes, I think we'll hopefully be seeing the fruits of all these people's labor as, as that gets out. Um, I do want to talk jump training real quick before we part ways here. And and I know you've done a lot of cool stuff with jump training, like meathead. Dun- is it meathead dunking? Uh, what's what's the tag? What's the t- if I'm you know I, I'm sure I probably have to be over 200 pounds at least to qualify for this. But what's the what's the hashtag? Yeah, I think Max Max Schmarzo, Strong by Science, thought I don't know why he thought of that, where that came from, but one day he just was like, "Let's start meathead dunks." So I'm like, "All right," <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know, just dudes who are like, I, I mean, probably a lot of strength coaches who just lift, and then it's like, "All right, put your uh, put your ideas of force production, mm-hmm. put that to the test of actual athletic ability," and it's like, "Well, it doesn't really happen like that." Um, but yeah, doing uh, like the just seeing the way that the differences of let's say like squatting or any any weight room exercise the differences of that and then what actually happens in an athletic movement you know where like the knees come in you go on the inside edge like are you doing this when you're squatting like you you coach this you coach the opposite in squatting you know it's like um so yeah like that kind of makes a new a new way to look at uh lifting <laughs> and performance yes. of like what's what are we really doing then um but yeah that's uh so jump training yeah I mean, for me, like you talk about having that output, right? Like, and I've spent the time to get back in the day to get my squat to it stays around 500 deadlift stays around 600. So like, there's definitely a lot of that, like force, slow force output. Um, but then actually getting that onto the court and, and I could say like from our understanding, like force velocity curve, let's just train the velocity side and do band assisted jumps. But it's like, well, again like that is not the movement of dunking a basketball right like there maybe you're not going inside edge maybe you're not your knee is coming in maybe your timing is way off um so actually like it's not all just physiology it's like there are so many components to actual uh athletic movements like dunking a ball or or playing a sport that you are missing if you're not actually going and doing it you're listening to the just fly performance podcast brought to you by simply faster yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like, I mean, one of my big <laughs> the reason I like talking. Well, I like talking about this stuff because I like athletic performance, as we all do. But like, I've I've been through the thick and thin of this in the sense of like, I remember when I was twenty nine was my last meet. I actually competed in high jump, and it was a year it didn't go very well. And I think that's I still didn't know a lot of the things that lifting was like how barbells was helping me, but I didn't know at all how they were hurting me, especially the movement pattern, the inside edge stuff being the biggest because that's like you live and die by inside edge as a high jumper. Uh, and I think that's why high jumpers almost like a track and field, like almost get into trouble more than anyone else in track and field when it comes to that added weightlifting element they often didn't have in high school. And like, I remember my first, uh, when I was 29, my first, um, 
like three months at uni- university job at my current location, we, we did kind of this thing called Jump City where it was the strength coaches versus the interns in this like basically lifting and jumping competition. But all we did was a standing jump pretty much and a one-step jump. And I remember I got my standing jump and my lifts up really high. But then one day at the end of that three months, we went out to, to do some dunks and I just went to dunk and there was literally nothing there. Like I couldn't even dunk. It was crazy because my standing vert was as high as ever, but I had totally lost inside edge, fascial dynamics, rotation, and just timing and everything else. And I got it back when by starting to train for it more specifically. But it's like, it's amazing to see how far you can come in just the lifting and standing jump world. But then you go to dunk and just have literally nothing there compared to what you used to because you've lost every other dynamic. And uh, it's fun to see those. Like That's what I like, like me head dunks. It's also jacked and athletic. It's everything that we're, uh, it's all these corners that we're trying to marry together and do so in the most effective way possible. Yeah, I look like, well, if you look at, like we strength coaches, we come from like such a powerlifting like background, squat bench, deadlift, you know. And it's like, if that is your training, like it is beneficial for you to be terrible at anything athletic because your body, like you train your body to move in one way. Why would it keep you open to move in any other possible way? Like that, I don't know. That would just, uh, I don't know if that probably changed the way the muscles act, the way the fascia works and everything. Like. It, it is of benefit for you to only be good at squat if you only squat. So, like, why would you then expect, like, here's the force output's higher. I'm going to go and dunk. It's like, well, no, because, like, it's like if you want to do powerlifting, maybe it's good to just do the powerlifts, assuming you can stay healthy. But if you want to do everything at once, like, there's going to be a trade-off. But it's like, go and do, like, do the athletic movements. And I don't know. Like, there are some arguments where, like, if you just – if you're a powerlifter and maybe you squat 500 and you just start throwing in, like, jumps and sprints in your training, maybe that's the stimulus you need to, like, shoot your squat up a little bit. Um, but, yeah, the whole thing of, like, you get good at the movements that you do, and why would your body be good at any other movements? So, like, it is a benefit to you to just be good at squats if all you do is squats. You're not going to be good at dunks. So if you want to do both, you got to pair you got to pair both at once. What – um. That, I hate asking reductionist questions like this, but here we go. Uh, three things you've been thinking of lately that have kind of helped your your jumping journey in the midst of, you know, you have huge lifting numbers. Um, three things that have been an emphasis for you in your your, your meathead dunking journey lately. Wow, that's hard. Um, <laughs> the Well, you know what? Like all this stuff that like I love what um, Adarian posts, like you and Adarian with the uh, really you're just posting what athletes are doing, you yeah. know, and then it's like. So, like, just looking at what happens in sport, like, let's say basketball, what actually happens in basketball, and then it's like, I'm coaching the exact opposite in the weight room, you know? There's such a huge disconnect here. Like, so, just getting there and, like, doing the actual skill, because when I first got into, like, the dunking journey, I guess, it's like, I would do French contrast of, like, uh, whatever, split squat, hurdle hop, uh, there's nothing wrong with this, I still use it, um, weighted jump, band assisted jump, but it's like, that doesn't prepare you for the dynamics of dunking or the timing of dunking, you know, it's, it's just it's just increasing your, like, general ability to jump, but, like, it is a skill to actually get on the court and do that. Um, so, yeah, getting on the court more often, um, and then the whole, like, I would say the whole tendon thing of, like, staying, trying to stay healthy and just feeling good throughout all of that, um, because, I'm saying you have to get on the court and do it more often, but what if it hurts to do it, you know? Like, you have to stay healthy to actually be able to practice it. So, like, throwing in those extra sessions. Um, But, you know what? Like, 
I started like a while ago a thoughts. I would just put thoughts on my website, like a thoughts article. And I because I, I would have so many thoughts throughout the day and I just forget them. Um, and now you're telling me I need a third thought and I can't think of it because I probably had about 20 today and they're all they're all gone because I didn't write them down. <laughs> no, right. No, but, I, I got it. But like, I, I know um, some things that I like, like the, you had the little arm pulse. You have obviously inside edge and triangle. And yeah, to me, one of the biggest things I think, yeah, was just like the tendon health because if you have that, there's just so much room for everything else to come together. So. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Like filming it and just watching what happens. Like, and then you can see little small things that, like, um, I remember in your book, you had a part about like, uh, opening the mouth, right. In the clean. And like, I watch myself dunk and like my <laughs> mouth opens every time. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, uh, I forget what exactly you were, re- you were referencing there, but I'm like, uh, well, that's interesting. You know, these things that just, uh, maybe the biggest thing is like, what is happening naturally, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. like, and, and then should, should someone intervene and fix this or like, or, or maybe we could argue that so many years of heavy lifting has kind of destroyed the natural athletic ability that I have. But, um, I think I've, I've kept it pretty good. Um, and yeah, just looking at everything naturally of like, there is nothing good or bad. It just is the way that it is, you know, and maybe things are working for a reason that we have no clue why. Yeah, it's cool. The more we learn about the body, especially the more I dig into Adarian stuff, it's like the more you can see uh, pieces and things and why and the why. You know, it's like we still haven't learned everything about why the body works the way it does. And even like this realization I had uh, this just a few days ago after this the rewire clinic that we, me and Adarian did, like all of a sudden I realized why load rim dunks are awesome because like you have to pronate, keep pronating after you jump because you, you're, the dunk's kind of quicker, so you're going to have to bring your feet up to reorganize everything quicker. I hope that that's probably I'm probably butchering it. It's hard to describe it on. Um, I'm talking on a microphone, but anyways, no, it's it's cool that we're we keep learning and um, and yeah, it's it's. I know you our times running out today, but hey, man, it's been awesome talking to you, Jake, uh, and on all these concepts, jacked athletic, uh, tendon health. I think these are all things that are highly relevant, and uh, appreciate your time, man. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for doing it, Joel. Thanks for tuning in for another episode. 157 is in the books, and uh, I'm signing off for this week. If you enjoyed the show, as always, leave us a rating or review, iTunes, Stitcher. Uh, I'd love to get us up to uh, 200 reviews on iTunes. It's definitely a goal of mine for this year, and you can help push this information out to those people who would need it, those coaches and athletes and people who are struggling with tendon pain and want to, uh, and, and everything that comes with that. Um, or people who just want to get jacked in an athletic way. Uh, either way, it would totally be appreciative if you took the time and could review us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify. Whatever you're listening to, it would mean a lot to me. Our sponsor, SimplyFaster.com, supplies of high-end training technology, K-Box, GymAware, muscle stimulators, contact grids, and a whole lot more, as well as a great blog, job board. Job board. They have meant a lot to us and this show as they've been faithful faithful sponsors over the years and we can't thank them enough, so be sure to visit them. We will be back next week with another great guest. Have a good one.